It's important to remember that there really is two sides of the coin. You have the cultural piece, the linguistic piece, the different systems, but at the same time, there's the immigration side of the coin. And that really is a filter um, through which many, not all, but many of our international students and scholars are experiencing their life in the United States. You're listening to Speaking of Language, a podcast recorded at the Language Resource Center at Cornell University. Each week, we explore a topic related to language pedagogy and second language acquisition. This week on Speaking of Language. Brandon Lanners and Gustavo Flores Macias give us insight into the experience of international students here at Cornell University. Welcome to a new episode of Speaking of Language. I'm Angelica Kramer, the director of the Language Resource Center at Cornell University. And I'm Sam Lipowitz, the LRC's media manager. We are speaking with Brandon Lanners and Gustavo Flores Macias today about how to create a welcoming and inclusive environment on campus for international students. Welcome to Speaking of Language, Brandon and Gustavo. Uh, thanks so much for having us. Pleasure to be here. Likewise, we're really delighted to be here. Thank you so much. So as a former international student myself, I guess I'm still an international student, right? Lifelong learner. Um, I'm really excited to be speaking with both of you today about this very important topic. Before we start, um, Brandon, you are the executive director of Cornell's Office of Global Learning, and Gustavo, you are an associate vice provost for international affairs here at Cornell. Can you both please share a bit about your background with languages and otherwise, and talk a little bit more about your roles here at Cornell? Brandon, why don't you get started? No, great. Uh, well, thanks again. Um, so let's see, maybe kind of going all the way back. Um, I am originally from Chicago, um, Illinois. Um, I have uh, Eastern European ancestry. And then fast forward to college and study abroad, because that's where life really starts, right? Yeah. So, you know, I uh, uh, spent a year in Ecuador, um, in South America. Um, I studied at the Universidad San Francisco de Quito, so that's University San Francisco de Quito, um, where uh, actually Cornell um, is developing increasing relationships, which is really exciting for me. Um, I, uh, after graduation, uh, went on to start working in international education and study abroad. Um, that was first at the University of Illinois um, and then at the University of Texas in San Antonio. And I've been with Cornell since 2018. Um, I've been officially in my role as executive director uh, for almost two years. Uh, in my role, I oversee uh, study abroad and also student and scholar uh, immigration. I do lots of work with Gustavo on international student inclusion. And my role really involves uh, you know, overseeing operations, um, human resources, lots of finance things, emergencies <laughs> like COVID, <laughs> and um, really just supporting the great work of our teams. So it's yeah. been a pleasure to do this work. Um, and I guess just in terms of language, I grew up speaking English. Um, my high school actually was about half Latino, but um, didn't have much contact, you know, it was in a... <laughs> Um, just suburb in high school and, and the way, you know, the suburbs of Chicago and many places work, there just wasn't, wasn't a lot of contact, unfortunately. Sure. But uh, study abroad changed that. Um, and, you know, by 
starting and working in study abroad, um, I was able to keep my connection with Spanish and Latin America. Um, personally, my wife is from uh, Mexico. Um, at home, we only speak Spanish uh, oh, nice. with our kids. Um, so try to keep things going there. And then beyond Spanish, I think the other language that I feel pretty comfortable with is, is Portuguese, at least Brazilian Portuguese. And um, I've studied, um, had the you know, pleasure to study, but don't try to speak to me in any of these languages uh, by this point in my life. Um, French, Hindi, Chinese, Quechua, and Wolof. Wow, man, look at you. I like it. That's wonderful. So, Gustavo, what about you? So, um, I should also thank you again. It's, it's a real pleasure to be here. Uh, I am originally from Mexico, from Mexico City. So, I, I am also an international student. <laughs> and, um, you know, I grew up in Mexico City, but my family was from northern Mexico. And I spent uh, just basically going back and forth between northern Mexico and Mexico City. And Spanish was is my native language, but the accents in hmm. between these two regions are so different. And I, that's one of the things I remember well from growing up was how whenever I would go north, they would make fun of my Mexico City accent. And then when I returned from spending the summer up north, they would make sense, make fun of my, my Norteño, <laughs> my northern accent. So... Um, also, you know, in, in northern Mexico, my, my mom was from a, a border town. So there was immediately also that just sort of awareness of, of the other language in English. Um, and and I um, had also an opportunity. I studied in the U.S., not for college, but I did, uh, uh, you know, I went to grad school in the U.S. And I also studied briefly in Switzerland in Geneva. And then that was sort of in French. And, you know, just definitely this awareness of the difficulties of having to communicate another language and, and having to navigate systems. And I think this, in a way, helped me um, become involved mm -hmm. in my current role. So I arrived in Cornell 13 years ago now. I am on faculty in the government department. But in the, in the vice provost's office, I you know, one of my main roles is, as Brandon was saying, just sort of help with everything that has to do with inclusion of international students. And I also help, um, you know, I help uh, Wendy Wolfer, who's uh, the Vice Provost for International Affairs. I help Brandon on, on issues not only of inclusion, but also on uh, education abroad. And I also play some role with um, matters that have to do with alumni, mm -hmm. international alumni, and getting them engaged and, and programming for them. So I've, I've done this for a couple of years now, and, and I absolutely love it. I think I, I have the best <laughs> job in the sense that I get to interact with international students and try to make their life easy at Cornell, and I just love that part. Terrific. Well, we want to focus today on international student inclusion. Um, so can you tell us what do the offices of Global Learning and the Vice Provost's Office do to support international students on campus? So, um, you know, uh, again, working with Gustavo um, and with uh, Wendy Wolford and, and so many other people on campus, and I would just want to really emphasize that point, that this is a collaborative effort across um, so many units, um, the Dean of Students, Cornell Health, Career Services, you know, specific academic, you know, departments, colleges, um, you really name it, and people have, you know, stepped up. Um, tremendously. 
um, around the university and recognizing the importance of our international student population and the, and the support they need. Um, also, we do a lot of work with student organizations, um, such as the International Students Union, ISU, and the Graduate and Professional Students International, so GPSI. Um, we stay in close touch on a variety of student issues to make sure we know kind of what the, what the pulse is and also to think through, you know, what are some solutions that, that we can find together and how can we collaborate on uh, programming. So some of the different things we do, um, we host a Thanksgiving dinner uh, every fall um, that hundreds of people, uh, many hundreds of people will uh, participate in. Um, we hold an international student graduation reception uh, in May where we have awards that we provide uh, to international students and also alumni. We do coffee hours. We have sessions so people can learn more about what's happening and, you know, the state of immigration and laws in the United States. Um, those are just a, just a few examples. Um, another piece that I'll mention, then I'll let Gustavo also touch on a few others. Um, we have a monthly newsletter that we started a little more, uh, a little less than a year ago. And that's been really important um, for the international community because uh, they've told us that to be able to keep up to speed with what is happening um, in immigration, what is happening at Cornell uh, regarding international students and scholars, and also just to feel like there's a bit more of a community for them, that they're not the only ones that are paying attention to this. We have a you know monthly newsletter that goes out to thousands of people, and that's been uh, a couple of really important initiatives. You know, we do a lot of work along the lines of advocacy on behalf of international students. And I'll mention a couple of examples. One has to do with the way that students interact with faculty and staff on campus. And, um, you know, it's amazing. There are about 24% of the total student population is international. But um, a lot of faculty and staff still find it challenging or difficult to interact with international students. So we put together uh, tips for instructors with international students, especially right now with the conditions of the pandemic when everybody's wearing a mask and it's a lot harder to understand. So just helping instructors navigate the challenges and, and help them understand what students are going through uh, and just to make sure that they have a welcoming environment in the classroom. Um, and we also work with the Office of Cornell's President and with Cornell's Office of Government Relations to issue statements to lobby on behalf of international students, um, you know, when it comes to government regulations that affect immigration status and so on. And, and when there are, there's a sense that whatever the government is doing or different levels of government, uh, when they're generating an environment that is not welcoming to international students, you know, we, we make sure that we issue a, a statement to um, support the international community and make sure that they feel that Cornell is thinking about them and that, that Cornell is concerned about their well-being as well. And and maybe the a third one that I'll mention, and I, I forget random whether you mentioned this one already, is, you know, we're developing right now what a project that I love. It's called Story Circles. So Story Circles is um, a tool that we're bringing to Cornell that was developed in partnership with the United Nations, with UNESCO. And it's really a workshop for intercultural understanding. 
And uh, we are developing this tool. We've learned the methodology. We're bringing it here. And we're, our hope is to provide this as a resource so that both international and U.S. students can, can use this tool to help understand where the other is coming from, to bridge differences, to find commonalities, and, and learn about differences and, and appreciate others' differences. So these are only a, a few of the projects that we have uh, ongoing and, and I'm sure there are many others that I'm forgetting, but I'll stop there. The story circles sound really great. I'm, I'm very much looking forward to hearing those and learning more about that when it fully launches. So it sounds like the two of you certainly know how to keep yourselves busy, um, specifically over the last 18 months. Has the focus of your work shifted a lot because of everything that happened during the pandemic? I mean, I can only imagine with the um, recent changes in, in immigration regulations that you have been more than busy. But were there other areas where you've seen a complete shift in how you were supporting international students? Yeah, no, that's that's exactly right. Um, you know, it the situation has improved um, some, um, but I think it was as you say, especially a struggle with uh, immigration regulations. You know, um, there are a couple of things that were happening. Um, one was that there was just such a rapid fire of changes. Um, and it seemed like every change would happen at, you know, 5 p.m. on a Friday. Um, you know, so that was always <laughs> very inconvenient in terms of communication. Um, so the, the, the rapidity with the, the, you know, the frequency and just how quickly the changes would come out, um, created anxiety. Number two, you know, when these changes sure. happen, it's not that they are immediately, um, intelligible, right? You know, it takes time mm. for people that are experts in the field, whether they're legal, uh, scholars, they're working in law firms or they're working in national advocacy, or there are amazing team of immigration advisors that we have upstairs. It takes people time to really understand what is this regulation saying? What does it mean generally? And how is this going to impact our different types of students? Because remember, it's, it's not just that we have an international you know, student, uh, one size fits all. You have students in different visa categories mm -hmm. um, from different countries with different situations. And so it um, takes time to make sense of that. And then it takes time to be able to communicate out what this means in such a way that you're not, you know, misleading. Um, so there's really an emotional dance then um, that, you're, that you're having sure. to do. Um, you know, I think uh, the other piece of it is just the overall environment that that creates, um, specifically at a national level. And it's, and it's not a welcoming environment. Um, and, you know, we heard that a lot from international students. So you have this, this anxiety, um, kind of feeling dazed already because you have COVID going on in the background. Uh, you might be unsettled because you're in the United States um, or you're abroad, you know, and doing, let's say, study away or studying remotely from home. Everyone is trying to figure out what does this mean for me and my future? And then you have this feeling that, you know, this country is putting uh, laws together that make it more difficult for me to stay here or to get to where I want to be to, to have my education. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so I would say from, 
from our side is that you know we did step up uh, advocacy with the U.S. government. Um, we really focused on providing uh, lots of supportive programming. You know, just a couple of examples. We had students that um, weren't able to go home uh, the summer right after COVID began. And they were struggling yeah. because um, they weren't able to, uh, in some cases, work um, here. Um, they weren't able to go home and make money that mm -hmm. way. They still had to pay for housing here, which was unexpected. And so we were able to put together some financial support uh, for students that, you know, really had, had high needs, um, which included uh, paid internships. Um, other things, nice. similarly, uh, over the winter break, um, there were students that weren't able to go home. So we put together programming specifically for uh, those students. So taking mm -hmm. them on ski trips or, you know, doing wall climbing, having yeah, a, nice. a movie night, yeah. um, those kinds of things to try to create, you know, some uh, community. And then I would just say, finally, that I think we really stepped up um, our education of the campus community. Um, to think about international students, to understand what's going on, uh, what they're going through, and really just sensitize people to the, to the situation that they were in. Yeah, I think Brandon said it well. I was very proud throughout, you know, since the pandemic started, I've been proud of the way that the office, Cornell in general and the Office of the Vice Provost uh, for International Affairs in particular have really just stepped up to the challenge of, of you know, helping out the many, many international students that were all of a sudden sort of stuck in the mm -hmm. U.S. or stuck in Ithaca. And yes, the university shut down, but all of these students then didn't have the employment and, and way to pay for rent. And, and it was really heartening to see not only the, the resources that Cornell put toward this end, but just the way that people, you know, volunteers, so many volunteers, staff, faculty, and other students that were really just helping out and in, in many different ways. Um, so uh, there we, we, had, we knew that a lot of students would be facing the challenge of, of the feeling of isolation here, being away from home, the campus, especially at first when it shut down, being mostly empty. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it wasn't all that warm yet at yeah. the time. It was still pretty oh, yeah. cold. So um, some of the programming that, that Brandon mentioned was important, but also um, we formed some groups that were sort of just mentoring groups that where people could just communicate and say, hey, I'm going through this. This is a challenge I'm facing. Can you help me navigate that? And, and I know that students appreciated that in particular. The other point I'll mention is that um, in a way, the pandemic, uh, it obviously brought many, many challenges, but it has also highlighted the importance of international at Cornell in a way that I think a lot of people just weren't quite aware yeah. of, you know, the, the second that so many students had trouble starting the new semester coming from, say, China or India or elsewhere because the consulates were closed or because mm -hmm. of travel restrictions. You know, Cornell realized just how important sort of the gap that these students were leaving in, in many ways, along many dimensions. So that's something that I've appreciated also as perhaps the, the silver lining of the challenges that the pandemic has has brought for international students. Terrific. Well, uh, what else is happening at Global Learning right now? So let's see. I would say uh, one key piece that we're working on that I think actually brings um, a lot of this together would be uh, the global hubs. 
So um, the Global Hubs, I think more and more people are finding out about this uh, initiative, again, very much uh, led by our Vice Provost for International Affairs, uh, Wendy Wolford. Um, you know, what that entails is basically uh, developing um, about 15 to 20 um, partnerships, uh, we're calling hubs, around the world. Um, with local institutions, um, in most cases local universities or uh, sets of, of universities, where Cornell already has um, a lot of eggs in those particular baskets. So we have uh, students that are going abroad to these locations. We have faculty that are doing research at these locations. Um, and using those different sites as a way to, I would say, strategically um, focus increased energy um, around study abroad for undergraduate students, um, graduate and professional student engagement at those sites, um, opening up increased opportunities for faculty to be involved in research uh, with partners at those sites, engaging undergraduate students with those Cornell faculty at those sites, but also pulling in alumni that Cornell has at these different sites uh, around the world and really creating this kind of comprehensive um, initiative that brings together so many pieces and I think really shows, as we talked about, you know, Cornell's maybe uh, global footprint and elevates international and the potential that international brings in a way like I've never seen before. You know, I've been doing this work, mm. um, you know, since 2004, and this is truly exciting. And at the same time, the Global Hubs give tremendous space, of course, for faculty to continue the work that they've been doing around the world, for study abroad to continue in the ways that it's been doing. But Global Hubs really opens the door, I think, for new kinds of participation and engagement with international. So. This is taking up a lot of our time and a lot of our thinking and um, just to see how much momentum uh, we're picking up and, and people are excited um, with this new way of, of really doing international at Cornell. So, I mean, I, I actually don't have much to add. I think Brandon said it very well. Um, the one thing that maybe I, I would add a little bit to has to do with, you know, Education abroad at Cornell has a long history, and I think it, it's been just a very important part of education at Cornell. But this is just such a wonderful opportunity to think strategically about our, our placement, uh, about our partners, and, and really to just bring down barriers for students to go abroad, mm -hmm. uh, for students of all backgrounds. That has been an, an important uh, factor for us. Um, bringing down language barriers, for instance, so the students can feel more comfortable going uh, places and, and learn a language there as opposed to saying, well, I already have to have a foundation to go and take advantage. We're saying, if you already have a foundation, that's great. We'll leverage that, of course. But if you don't have any foundation, you can develop it there and mm -hmm. you're exposed to the other culture, the other language. And we're working on the, on the financial side of things as well so that um, students just if they want to go abroad, they can, regardless of, of means. And, and also just looking beyond the English-speaking world, because yeah. Cornell students, I think, naturally tend to cluster in sure. places like Australia or the UK for study abroad, which you know are obviously wonderful places. But I think this will also bring 
just many more opportunities for languages that are, you know, not sort of the traditional languages that people study. Um, so I, you know, we're very excited about this initiative. Um, it will, I think, touch so many different groups, uh, you know, undergrads, graduate students, staff, faculty, alumni. The opportunities, I think, for engaged learning are, are tremendous. So as you can tell, we're, we're working hard on this. We're super excited. And, and this is something that, you know, we'll continue to work on in, in the coming months. Great. Where can our listeners find out more information about global learning, about these global hubs, about story circles, about all the things that you just talked about? So uh, maybe a couple of places. Um, one, I encourage everyone who's interested in learning more about the international student experience um, and scholar experience, specifically regarding things like immigration and maybe getting to know a bit more about the, the larger community you can go to the Office of Global Learning and navigate over to our International Services uh, website. And up at the top, at the top right, you'll see a subscribe uh, button. And so if you click on that, you can get information to subscribe to our listserv. So you can kind of be a friend of International and you'll get on our monthly uh, newsletter. So you can learn more about the things that are happening in the Office of Global Learning and specifically related to uh, international students and scholars. And the other one, another resource that I'll mention is the, the globalcornell.edu website. So it's global.cornell.edu. It has a lot of this information there, but there's a, a page in particular that it summarizes a lot of what we discussed today. Um, there's a menu that says about, and in that menu that says about, uh, there's an advocacy option. And, and really, it's not only advocacy there, the opportunities for engagement, programming, um, inclusion. Um, that's, that's a page that I would strongly recommend all of our international students just to keep an eye on. There are so many helpful resources. You know, one that comes to mind is when, when um, protests, we saw so many protests in the U.S. and, you know, this come and go and then we have higher periods of intensity. And But, but we we're getting all these questions from international students about, can I go and protest myself? Is it allowed? Am I going to get yeah. in trouble? So just resources that, yeah, these are the, the do's and don'ts, things to keep in mind. Uh, but the same, you know, international students, some of them have to file taxes, others mm -hmm. don't. When do I have to file taxes? How do I do that? Just important um, resources that I think people will find helpful. Well, that's great. What can we all do to be more mindful of the international students on our campus? Yeah, I mean, maybe I'll start on, on this one to give Brandon a, a bit of a break. You know, I think uh, a few things that we can do are fairly straightforward and simple. The first one is to remember that accents are good. You know, in the sense accents, you know, they, they tell you information about a person. They, they um, just show that people then speak more than one language. And um, it, sometimes we're just sort of afraid to ask or because we, we're turned off by an accent or we find it different. And it's just sort of, you know, accents are good. Let's all become comfortable with them. It can be an excuse for conversation. Uh, you know, reach out to someone, ask them where they're from. Um, 
you know, sometimes people are also afraid to to ask uh, someone how to pronounce their name correctly. You know, with international communities, is something that many people are not familiar with names, and it's perfectly fine. Nobody's born knowing how to pronounce every name out there. So uh, those are, I think, small ways in which we can make international students feel welcome. Like we're trying, I think, the international community appreciates. Um, when someone is is actually trying to to meet them where they come from and and understand uh, their culture or their their origin their heritage, all of these things I think go a long way. You know, they don't we don't need uh, to pour a ton of resources into this. Although I, I will say that we're working on resources for staff and faculty to help them pronounce students' names and help them just have a, a better, become more familiar with names. But these are only just some things that come to mind that I think we can all work together and that, that they can really make a, a great difference for international students. Yeah, and I would um, think kind of building on that, I think if uh, people that maybe aren't international um, students or scholars, if they can sensitize themselves um, to, of course, you know, what might be more obvious um, that international students and scholars have, in some cases, a language, you know, challenge. They're learning a language that's not their native language. They might be here getting used to, you know, cultural ways of doing and being that aren't what they're used to. They might be navigating a different academic system as well. It's important to remember that there really is two sides of the coin. You have the cultural piece, the linguistic piece, the different systems, but at the same time, there's the immigration side of the coin. And that really is a filter um, through which many, not all, but many of our international students and scholars are experiencing their life in the United States. And so when there are political ebbs and flows, that's impacting them in ways that um, if you aren't here as an international person, um, it's really hard to understand. So again, you know, if you can sign up for our newsletter, um, that'll get you a bit more information about what's happening with immigration. Spend some time on our website, learn about the different immigration statuses, because if you're here on an H-1B versus an O, versus a J, versus an F, versus a B, those might not mean anything to a lot of people. But if you're here on one of them, it tremendously impacts um, your life here and the time that you can be here and how seamlessly or not you're able to think about your future. So spend some time on our website, learn what those things mean. And I think that'll really um, take you a long way in understanding. Thank you so much for the important work that you do, specifically on behalf of the international student population at Cornell. I think all the international students here are really in very good hands um, with your offices and with the support services that, that Cornell has to offer. So thank you very much for that. Thank you. You're very welcome. It's a pleasure. Before we sign off, we'd like to ask both of you to share your favorite word in a language you speak, love, or are learning. What is that word? Gustavo, maybe you'd like to start. Yeah, you know, Brandon and I were, were debating, and um, it, you, Brandon knows better Span Mexican Spanish than I do. I mean, it is amazing just the, his command of, of the slang and everything. But um, one of the words that I really like is, is the word pachanga. 
And I don't think this word is only from Mexico. I mean, my understanding is that it exists in other places, like in Argentina, uh, in Cuba, elsewhere. You also have the word pachanga. Pachanga in Mexico, and I think in most other places, just means party. And I love it because the word itself, I, I just find it so festive. I think, you know, if you heard the word pachanga, someone said, do you want to go to a pachanga? And you had no idea what this was. You would say, sure, why not? That just sounds <laughs> festive. <laughs> so I was looking a little bit into the origin of this. You know, it has sort of the CH, which, uh, you know, in Mexico, it often indicates a lot of uh, sort of original, you know, sort of cultures, sort of pre-Hispanic culturals, cu- cultures. But but my, what I read is that um, it it's also a genre of music in Cuba. Oh, wow. And that could be where it comes from. But even beyond that, uh, there seems to be a, a Yoruba deity uh, that people call Chango. Huh. And, and then when that was brought to the New World, sort of pa... Changa is sort of to the Chango, and then it just sort of became uh, apparently this this way of going to the the sort of the festivity for the deity, and then it becomes. I have no idea whether this is actually true or not, <laughs> but I'm I'm buying it. Uh, I love it, uh, Brandon. What about you? So um, I, I spent so much time uh, stressing over what my word was going to be. Um, I asked my family, what do you think? Gustavo and I talked about it. And, and you know, I, I had to go back to, it's a, it's a word that's in Spanish, um, but then it has other roots as well. And, you know, I think what's always interesting about Spanish around Latin America is that there are a lot of loan words that have come in from, you know, indigenous languages. Um, and so this is one of them. And so the, the word or phrase, depending on how you write it, is apapuchi. Um, and apapuchi um, means um, on the shoulders. So um, this word's important for me because I had never heard it learning Spanish growing up as a kid. It wasn't until I met my wife and then had a child. Uh, my son was born in Mexico. And people would say, ah, you know, what is apapuchi? Well, it's kind of like a piggyback ride. And so this Apapuchi being a piggyback ride um, comes either from the Pima people or the Jackies. The etymology is, I think, um, unclear, but it's a word that um, I really uh, hold dear. And I guess if you want to say it like people from where my wife is from, you wouldn't say Apapuchi, but you'd say Apapushi. And um, I don't say it that way, though. I'm not, I'm not hardcore enough, but I'll, maybe someday I'll get there. Um, <laughs> but yeah, but that one I've I've always really enjoyed. Really good memories of uh, walking around with my kids at Papucci. Wonderful. Well, thank you, Brandon and Gustavo, for speaking of language with us today. Angelica, Sam, it's been a real pleasure. We really appreciate the time you took to, to make this happen. Yeah, thank thank you. you so much. This was a great time. And thanks to everyone listening. Next week, Karen Lichtman will join our podcast. Dr. Lichtman is Associate Professor in Spanish Linguistics and Educator Licensure at Northern Illinois University. She gave a talk as part of our monthly LRC speaker series on acquisition versus learning. You can watch her full talk on our YouTube channel. And, of course, you can listen to next week's episode online. Until then... Auf Wiederhören! The Language Resource Center is located on the ground floor of Stimson Hall on Cornell's main campus in Ithaca, New York. Check us out on the web at lrc.cornell.edu 
or look for Cornell LRC on Facebook and Twitter. Speaking of Language is produced by Angelica Kramer and Sam Lupowitz. Recorded by Sam Lupowitz. Original music by Sam Lupowitz, Dan Gable, and Joe Gibson. Thanks also to the College of Arts and Sciences at Cornell University. As a reminder, the ideas and opinions expressed on this podcast do not reflect those of the College of Arts and Sciences or any other official entity of Cornell University. We thank our listeners and do stay tuned for our next episode.